Today we're finishing up our Future Starts Now series. We've taken the last six weeks to walk through the book of 1 Peter, this letter that Peter wrote to the early church, to the people who were following Jesus, who had been suffering a lot of persecution and suffering in Jerusalem and had fled from there up to a region called Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so Peter's writing to them to be able to help them to understand what it means to continue to follow Jesus faithfully, but also how to work through some of the things uh, that they were dealing with that were very, very hard in terms of the persecution and suffering they were going through. And so we have taken time throughout this series to recognise that Peter is talking about things that are going to be true for us in the future, and yet those things can have an impact on what we have in the here and now. And so we've looked at a number of topics over the last few weeks. We've started by looking at the theme of hope and recognising the hope that we have for the future, the hope that's guaranteed through Jesus but that that hope then shapes the people that we are now and the people, uh, the ways in which we live in the here and now. We talked about what it means to be people who are holy the way that God is holy and that again, in the future, that's going to be true of us. So what does it mean for us to pursue holiness in the here and now? We talked about what it means to be God's chosen people and to play the roles that God has got for us in the here and now, recognising that that's what we're going to experience when we spend eternity together. And then we tackled two really challenging subjects. We talked about submission and what it looks like for us to be able to submit to one another, knowing that there's going to be a healthy version of that that we'll experience in eternity. But in the here and now, what does it mean for us to submit to our governing leaders, to the people around us, uh, to one another in our relationships? And then last week we talked about suffering, recognising that suffering is not something that we'll experience in eternity So how can we work through the things that are hard in the here and now, knowing that all of that is going to finish one day? So I hope that it has been a helpful series for you. And if you've missed any of those or you want to catch up on them or remind yourselves about them, uh, you can have a listen to them on our website, podcast, uh, through our Facebook page and uh, recap what we've been through. But I hope that it's been helpful and encouraging for you. I know for me, as I've prepared each week, it's been this really great challenge to recognise how amazing it is that we're going to experience all of these things in eternity but it's not something we have to wait for. We can actually get involved in those now. So inside of Caring Connection, you have your teaching notes. And uh, so if you would like to jot things down as we go through today's message, you can feel free to do that. And then hopefully that'll be some things that you can continue to reflect on throughout the week. So today we're going to look at the theme of serving, which is a really appropriate place for us to be able to finish up. And last week when we talked about suffering, uh, we talked about some things that we found in 1 Peter chapter 4 and chapter 5 because we kind of bridged some things. And so now we're going to look at the verses that were around that. And so Peter starts by telling us that serving is about self-control. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1, Peter writes, Since Christ suffered physically, you too must strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking that he had. Because whoever suffers physically is no longer involved with sin. The message translation of this verse is really, really helpful. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. It's a really, really helpful way of us recognising what Peter's trying to say. So when we suffer, it causes us to throw ourselves onto Jesus. And as we do that, Jesus then changes our heart and our mind. He changes the things that we're thinking about and shifts our thinking away from being selfish and focused on sinfulness, focusing on things like feeling sorry for ourselves because we're going through something that's so hard, focusing on bitterness because how come I'm going through this and this is so hard and yet other people aren't. 
All of, our shift, all of our thinking shifts away from that to think the way that Jesus thinks. But Peter also says that when we suffer, it puts things into perspective too. When we go through hard times, often some of the stuff that we end up focusing on, some of the stuff that we end up obsessing about, just kind of goes away. And we realise some of those things aren't that important at all. There's more important things in life. And so when we go through hard times, that shift in our thinking can happen as well. Peter then continues in verse 2, and he says, From now on then, you must live the rest of your earthly lives controlled by God's will and not by human desires. You've spent enough time in the past doing what the heathen like to do. Your lives were spent in indecency, lust, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and the disgusting worship of idols. So Peter doesn't hold back in this bit, confronts some things that have been going on. And he says, if we're going to choose to embrace Jesus' way of life, then we want to live the way that God wants us to live. Live by God's will, not by our human desires, not by our selfishness, and especially not with a lack of self-control. So he singles out some specific things. Indecency, so no, having no self-restraint, not caring what's going on, looking at inappropriate things, talking about inappropriate things, thinking about inappropriate things. Lust, where we're pursuing evil desires, where we're chasing after things that we know are not what are good for us. Drunkenness, having way too much to drink and then losing control because of that. Orgies, so going too far sexually, but also other translations talk about rioting, so just this kind of mess of all sorts of stuff going on there. Drinking parties where things are out of control, and the disgusting worship of idols. All of those things that Peter talks about are about a lack of self-control. If you think about each of those things that he's focused on, it's about overindulgence. It's about what's happening in the moment and me just losing myself in that and not thinking about the long-term implications of all of those things. In the next couple of verses, Peter then says that if we choose to walk away from those things and we've been involved in them in the past, then we may have people saying, what's wrong with you? Why have you walked away from those things? And we may also feel like we need to start judging other people who are still doing those things. But Peter says, that's not your problem. Don't worry about that. Leave the judging up to God and just get on with living the way that God wants you to live. He sums all of that up in verse 7 where he says, The end of all things is near, so you must be self-controlled and alert to be able to pray. This is a good reminder that for the early church, their expectation was actually that the world was going to end within their generation. If you look at a lot of what's in the New Testament and a lot of what the early church focused on, their expectation was genuinely that Jesus was going to come back before a bunch of them had passed away. They thought the end of the world was very, very close to them. And so they would use phrases like this, the end of the world is near, so do these things. And I'm always challenged about that because we look back at the early church and we say, well, the first 50 years, 100 years, 300 years, that's the early church. And so we can sometimes get really focused on Jesus coming back and the end of the world coming really, really soon. I remember being challenged a long time ago about what if that's not true? What if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years or another 5,000 years or another 10,000 years? And what if in actual fact we're a part of the early church ourselves? In 2,000 years from now, what if people look back at us the way that we look back at the early church from the 1st and 2nd century what are we going to contribute into the life of the church, into the theology of the church, into the direction of the church? So it's a good challenge for us that Jesus says nobody knows when he's coming back. And so we shouldn't obsess about that 
at all. So it's still great advice that Peter is giving, that we should be self-controlled and alert, but we shouldn't do it just because Jesus might come back tomorrow. And I've said often that if I would change my behaviour because I knew, if someone could tell me, Jesus is definitely coming back tomorrow, and therefore I would say, oh, I better get my act together, I better change these things or stop doing these things. If I knew Jesus was going to come back and so I would change those things, I should just change those things. Because they're either things that aren't healthy for me anyway, or they're things that are a part of God's best. So I shouldn't wait until I know Jesus is coming back, I should just live that way because that's the best way for me to live. But Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Have a sound mind. Be watchful. Pay attention to what's going on. And if we contrast that with that list of things that Peter's just talked about, you can see the difference. The idea of practicing self-control, of having a sound mind, of staying alert compared to getting involved in indecency and lust and drunkenness, two very different ways of living. But it's interesting where Peter finishes that verse, that he says, do all of that so that you can be able to pray, which is another good reminder for us that we should take the time to be able to say, are the things that I'm doing, the choices that I'm making, the way that I'm living going to stop me being able to pursue my relationship with God? Because sometimes we do these things and we're really ashamed or embarrassed about the choices that we have made and that can stop us wanting to pray, stop us wanting to journal, stop us wanting to read scripture Because we're like, oh, God's probably going to confront me about this. So Peter says, live your lives in such a way that you can spend time with God whenever you want. That you can come authentically and honestly before God at any time without having to worry about carrying all of that baggage with you. The message translation says to stay wide awake in prayer. And you have to wonder when Peter wrote this whether he's thinking back to his experiences the night before Jesus died. When Jesus took Peter, James and John into the garden and said, stay awake with me and pray, stay alert. And what did they do? They fell asleep. So Jesus went off, he prayed, he comes back, finds them asleep and says, stay awake, stay alert and pray. He goes off, they fall asleep again, he comes back, that happens a third time. And then a little bit later on in the night, Peter has the opportunity to decide whether he's going to say, yes, I'm one of the people who's following Jesus And he chooses to deny Jesus and to walk away from him. You have to wonder whether Peter, as he writes this, is remembering the choices that he made, remembering what it was like for him to lose himself in the moment, to not be self-controlled, to not stay alert, to not stay focused on what God was doing and missed an amazing opportunity. So first of all, when we talk about serving, we recognise that serving starts with us living lives where we have self-control in our lives. Secondly, Peter says that serving is all about love. In verse 8, he says, Above everything, love one another earnestly, because love covers over many sins. When we talk about earnestly, it's a bit of an old word. So being earnest means that we are loving intensely, without ceasing. Another way of thinking about it is to think about keeping our love at full strength. Think about the idea of having a battery that's our love battery. Keep that fully charged at all times. That's what it means to be able to love earnestly. So Peter says this is our top priority. Above everything else that we do, we should focus on love. And I wonder, I've been thinking about it through this week, how much would change if that was my number one focus all of the time? If my focus was always on love, in every interaction that I have, every choice that I make, everything that I do, how much would shift in my life? 
A great question that's been really helpful for me is to say, what's the most loving thing to do in any situation? When I get up in the morning, spend time with our family, what's the most loving thing to do as I look to serve them? As I go to work, what's the most loving thing to do as I spend time with people? So as we get up, as we go into our workplaces, as we go and do the shopping, as we spend time with our neighbours, as we spend time with our friends, what's the most loving thing to do is a really helpful question to keep front of mind. Peter then says that this can cover over a whole bunch of sins and a whole bunch of mistakes. And this is where we have to be careful because sometimes we can take that and say, well, love means that we don't really care. We just, never mind. We won't talk about that, that mistake that someone made or someone who's involved in things that are really not healthy for them. We'll just let that go because we just want to love them. That's not actually what Peter is saying. Peter's saying that those little things that we often hold on to are the things that if we focus on love can sometimes go away. That little mistake that someone made, that throwaway line that someone said, that choice that someone made that wasn't exactly the choice that we would make, but it's not that big a deal. Those things can be covered over when we choose to love the people around us, when we choose to believe the best about other people, when we choose to say, how can I encourage someone instead of just looking for ways to tear them down? When I choose to focus on the positives instead of focusing on the negatives. Really, it can be summed up this way. We don't make a big deal about things that aren't a big deal. We don't make a big deal about things that aren't a big deal. If we start from a position of genuinely loving the people that we interact with, seeing them the way that Jesus sees them, then that often changes our perspective, changes the way we look at the way that they're behaving and the things that they're doing, but it definitely can change the way that we respond to them and what's happening. Peter gives a very practical example of that in verse 9 where he says, open your homes to each other without complaining. He says, practice hospitality. Practically speaking, share the things that you've got with the people around you. And we know that this was a really key part of what the early church focused on, practicing hospitality, sharing what they had with people who were in need, being in and out of each other's homes and hanging out with each other in that way. And this is a big challenge for us in our culture because we're very much focused on ourselves. We focus on what's in it for me, we drive into our garages, the door comes down behind us, and we don't interact with our neighbours a lot of the time. So this is a big challenge to say, what does it mean for us to open ourselves up to other people? This isn't necessarily saying that we have to have people in our houses all the time, but do we even have a mindset about practising hospitality, saying hi to people, being welcoming, sharing the things that we've got with particularly our neighbours and the people around us. If we start with that question of what's the most loving thing to do, if we start with a heart to love the people around us, then we want to look for opportunities to be able to serve people, to be able to practice hospitality. Peter says, don't do it because you have to, do it because you want to. Do it without complaining. Don't have a mindset of resenting it, and I suppose I'll have to go and serve my neighbours because Jesus told me to. That's not the mindset that we're supposed to have. We genuinely love the people that we interact with, and out of that we're motivated and inspired to say, how can I care for the people that live near me? Peter then says that serving is about using our God-given gifts. Verses 10 10 and 11, he says, Each one as a good manager of God's different gifts must use for the good of others the special gift that they have received from God. 
Those who preach must preach God's messages. Those who serve must serve with the strength that God gives them, so that in all things praise may be given to God through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So all of us have been given different gifts. The Bible is very, very clear about that, that every single one of us have been given gifts by God. The challenge is sometimes we think that it's only people who are up front or in more public roles that have gifts. And so we focus on gifts of leadership or gifts of teaching and some of those sorts of things. But hospitality is a gift. Showing compassion and caring for people is a gift. Being someone who's generous is a gift. Being someone who trusts God in powerful ways is a gift. And none of those gifts are more important than any of the other gifts. The upfront gifts are no more important than the gifts that people have where they do things behind the scenes. We need each other to be able to function as a healthy group together. And so Peter says, the gifts that you've been given, you should use as a good manager. Other translations talk about being good stewards. You've been given this, so don't waste it away. Use it. Use it in the service of others. Use it for the good of others. And we don't do any of that to make ourselves look good. We do all of this ultimately to make Jesus look good. When we talk about the idea of glorifying Jesus or glorifying God, that's what we're really saying. How do I make Jesus look good? So as I use my gifts, how do I focus on others, using my gifts for their benefit, not keeping them to myself, but ultimately doing that so that Jesus looks really great. Peter then says, something that's fairly obvious, that serving is also about following Jesus, following him and especially following his example. So this is where we skip over the verses that we looked at last week to get into chapter 5. Verse 1 says, I, who am an elder myself, appeal to the church elders among you. I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings and I'll share in the glory that will be revealed. I appeal to you to be shepherds of the flock that God gave you and to take care of it willingly as God wants you to and not unwillingly. Do your work not for mere pay but from a real desire to serve. Don't try and rule over those who've been put in your care but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the glorious crown which will never lose its brightness. So Peter then does say some things specifically to people who are in leadership roles within the church. So people who have a role like me, people who are part of our board, people who have specific responsibilities within the life of the church. And he says, our major focus is to serve and to set an example. If we're in a position of leadership, that's what our focus needs to be. We're not better than anyone else. We're not more important than anyone else. In actual fact, we're here to come underneath people and to serve, to encourage, and to set an example that way. Paul says exactly the same things when he writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians. He talks about all of our gifts that we use are here to equip the church to be able to do the work that God has for us to do all together. The focus of those who are in leadership is not to do everything, but to say, how do I equip and empower other people so that together we can do everything that God wants us to be able to do. And so Peter says, have that mindset of serving and setting an example. Do that willingly, eagerly, enthusiastically, not begrudgingly, not out of obligation, not out of a sense of compulsion, not out of a sense of have to. He also says that we shouldn't do it for mere pay. Now, I don't know many people who go into ministry because they think that it's going to be a lucrative career, certainly not in Australia anyway, 
But he also says not to do it for personal gain. And sadly, that is true, that some people do go into leadership positions and particularly paid ministry positions because they are seeking personal gain. And Peter says that's not what it's all about at all. And he gives a very clear reminder that this is not my flock. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. You, we, are Jesus' flock. At the end of the day, we talk about that a lot. It's one of the things that we pray every single week. Jesus, this is your church, so take us where you want to go today. It's not about me. It's not about our board. It's about us being able to recognise all of us are a part of the global church, which is God's church, and so together we follow what Jesus has got for us. So for people who are in leadership positions, our role is to follow Jesus and to set an example in that. Jesus, who is the ultimate servant leader. Jesus, who shows us in staggering ways what it means to serve the people around them. And so I hope that as I go about my week each week, that I do set an example in what it looks like to serve you and to be able to say, how do I live in a servant role like Jesus does? To be able to take the gifts that God has given me, but to use them to equip us to be able to do the things that God's got for us to do, to serve, to encourage. That's what my major role is. And finally, Peter says that serving is also about humility. In verse 5, he says, In the same way, you younger people must submit yourselves to your elders, and all of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. For the scripture says, God resists the proud, but shows favour to the humble. So this is something that we've unpacked in detail that Peter's talked a lot about through this letter, the idea of submission. And so for you younger guys, this is a very clear message to you that Peter is saying, submit to those who are older than you. However, Peter also says we're all here to serve each other. So those of us who are younger don't submit to those who are older with an expectation that we're going to be bossed around and told what to do. We're all here to serve one another. And so out of that, there can be a healthy sense of submission, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Peter uses this language of putting on the apron of humility. And when we think about humility, sometimes we can lose ourselves in thinking that that means we have to imagine that everyone's better than us. That humility is saying, oh, I'm not very good, everyone else is better than I am. That's not what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is seeing ourselves accurately, which means that we don't see anyone as better than us, or worse than us. We see each other as equal because all of us are exactly the same in God's eyes because of Jesus. That's what true humility looks like. It's not about me having to pull myself down and it's certainly not about me having to puff myself up. It's about saying we're all equal. Jesus sees us the same way and so we see each other the same way. And so out of a sense of humility, we then have a focus on serving each other because no one's better than me, so I don't have to kind of cower down. No one's worse than me, so I don't have to say, well, I don't have to serve them. We serve each other out of humility. Other translations talk about dressing ourselves in humility. And one of the commentaries that I looked at this week just issued a little challenge to say, if some of us were only wearing the clothing of humility, how much would be covered up? And I thought that was a helpful question to be able to think through. I'll leave that with you. In verse 6 and 7, Peter then says, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, so that he will lift you up in his own good time. Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. And this is a beautiful picture of what God wants for us, 
to leave all of our cares with him. We've talked about what worry is from a biblical perspective. Worry is about giving something a second thought and a third thought and a fourth thought and overthinking things, obsessing about things. So Peter's recognising that all of us have worries that come our way. All of us have struggles that we go through in our lives. We have stress that comes to us. But when we experience that, we should hand them over to God. The minute that something comes into our life that causes us stress and anxiety, we hand it over to God. When it happens again, we hand it over to God. We don't obsess about it. We don't keep thinking about it. We hand them over to God because we know he cares about us. And which worries do we do that with? Just the really big things? Just the huge things? Just financial worries? No, Peter says all of them. Big things, little things. Everything we can take to God because he cares about us and so we can leave them with him. So Peter wraps up his letter with a couple of final thoughts. In verse 8, he says, Be alert and be on watch because your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be firm in your faith and resist him because you know that other believers in all the world are going through the same kind of sufferings. So Peter says what he's already said, Be alert, be on watch, be vigilant, exercise self-control. And there's an interesting contrast here about what he's just said about how God cares for all of our needs. We recognize that God wants to take our burdens from us compared with the enemy who is roaming around looking to destroy us, to devour us. And Peter's advice is to resist the devil. It's interesting that Peter doesn't say run from the devil. He doesn't say you have to defeat the devil. Just ignore it and pretend it's not happening. He says that we should resist the devil, that we should be firm in our sense of trusting in Jesus. And this is my understanding of what spiritual warfare looks like. Sometimes we can get a little bit obsessed about spiritual warfare, and some churches in particular do this, and we actually give the enemy far more power than he deserves. Our understanding is that God created us to be in a full, complete relationship with him, with the people around us, to live at peace with the creation that he made, and to live the life that God created us to be able to live. So Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be able to experience that life, but we do have an enemy who is trying to drag us away from that, trying to drag us away from God's best. And the enemy's tactics are to divert our attention away from things, to distract us, to distort things, so that instead of understanding God's best, we end up focusing on what the devil is putting in front of us. So our focus is recognising that Jesus has done everything necessary to defeat the enemy. It's not up to us to have to be strong enough to defeat the enemy. Because of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, the enemy is a defeated foe. End of story. So there's nothing for us to be afraid of. There's nothing for us to be scared of. And a really helpful metaphor for me has been the idea of thinking about a sporting match where one team is miles in front of the other team. So think about a footy match or a basketball game where one team is so many points in front of the other team, it's late in the fourth quarter, there's no chance that the other team is going to be able to come back. What does the other team often do in that context? resort to dirty tactics, try and take out some players, just play really dirty, hurt some people on the way up. If we're going to lose anyway, then we're going to take some people down. It's a really helpful mindset about what spiritual warfare looks like. We're in the fourth quarter. 
Jesus has guaranteed victory, but we have to let time play out. The victory is not final until Jesus comes back. So we are in this in-between time, but we're so far in front that there's no chance of us losing. So what's the enemy going to do? Try and hurt us. Try and distract us. Try and say, I'm going to take out as many of them as I possibly can while I've got the chance. Our focus as people who follow Jesus is to point to the scoreboard and say, you've already lost. It's over. It doesn't matter. There's nothing for me to fear so I can resist the strategies that the enemy has. And Peter also says that when we're going through difficult times in the midst of that, when we are feeling attacked, we should remember that we're not alone. And for us in the West, particularly us in Australia, this is a really helpful mindset for us to have because sometimes what we think is suffering and persecution is really not. When we compare ourselves to someone who's following Jesus in China, someone who's following Jesus in Russia, someone who's following Jesus in the Middle East, someone who's following Jesus in parts of Africa, that's suffering, that's persecution, in genuine fear for their lives, a lot of them. So Peter reminds us of that to say, just remember sometimes what other people are going through as they follow Jesus and put your suffering in perspective when you compare yourself to them. And then he rounds out by saying, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength and a sure foundation. To him be the power forever. Amen. So Peter finishes by saying some things that he said when we looked at suffering. That suffering doesn't last forever. Suffering isn't eternal. There is a time that's going to come when suffering will finish, when we will be perfected, when we will be made whole, when we will be fully mature the way that God always wanted for us. But the future starts now, as we've talked about throughout this series. We can embrace that mindset in the here and now, even when we're going through struggles even when we're going through difficult times. So as we wrap up our message today, as we wrap up this series, I want to leave us with this question to reflect on. How can I serve like Jesus this week? How can I serve like Jesus this week? And so as we go through this list again of the things that we've talked about today, I want to encourage you to think about, is there one of these that jumps out at you to say, yes, this week I want to think about that a little bit more, I want to put some of that into practice, I want to focus on that a little bit more as I go about my week. For some of us, it could be about being more self-controlled, about being more alert, about being clear-minded. For some of us, it could be about getting away from some things that we know are not healthy for us, some things that we know are causing damage to us. Things that are the opposite of what Jesus has for us. All of those things that ultimately get in the way of us being able to have a servant heart because we're so lost in the momentary pleasure of what's going on that we forget about why we're here. So for some of us it could be about a sense of self-control or being more focused on what Jesus is up to in any given moment. For some of us it could be that question, what's the most loving thing to do? And as you think about this week and you think about interactions that you're going to have, maybe there's someone that you're going to see this week, maybe in a work context, there's someone who's a bit frustrating, maybe there's someone that you know that you're just going to have to encounter. What does it look like to start with that mindset? What is the most loving thing to do for me in my interactions with that person? For others of us, it could be about using our gifts. And for some of us, there might actually be a question to say, well, I'm not sure what my gifts are. 
I didn't realise that I had gifts. I just am kind of me and there's nothing necessarily special about me. So if you'd like to talk a bit more about that, I would love to chat with you a little bit more. And with most of you, it'll be an easy conversation to say these are the things you're already doing where you are using those gifts, you just don't realise it, which is what happens for a lot of us. But for some of us, it's just about shifting that mindset to say, I know that God has put these passions and these gifts in me, so how do I use them this week in a way that benefits others and ultimately makes Jesus look good? I don't just go about my week randomly. The things that I do, especially the things that I do to serve, I do that so that others have a really great experience and so that ultimately people say, wow, Jesus must be really great because of the way that you're using those gifts. For some of us, it could be about seeing other people as equal or seeing ourselves as equal, having a sense of accurate humility. And as I go into my week, instead of feeling like I'm worse than everybody else, or instead of feeling like I'm better than everyone else, being able to say we're all equal. God looks at us all the same. So how can I serve the people that I interact with and engage with? And for some of us, it might just be a helpful reminder that ultimately we follow Jesus. That Jesus is the one who sets the example for us about what service looks like. Jesus gave his life for us, both in terms of his priorities and all the things that he did, but literally giving his life to serve us, as we're going to reflect on in a couple of minutes around the communion table. So for some of us, it's just a great reminder that if this is who Jesus is, if it's good enough for him to come to serve, then that should be our major priority as well. So I'm going to pray and ask that God would challenge us and inspire us about what it looks like to be able to serve as we head into this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this letter that we've been able to spend the last month and a half going through. We thank you for the amazing journey that Peter went on. And as we think about his life, as we think about him choosing to follow you, Jesus, as we think about all the ups and downs that he went through, as we think about the position that he ended up having within the early church, and as we think about these beautiful words that he wrote to encourage and inspire the people who are following Jesus in really hard situations, we're really grateful and somewhat amazed that you can take some words that were written 2,000 years ago and you can speak directly into our circumstances in the here and now. So we thank you for this series and all the different things that you've helped us to be able to unpack. And as we head into this week and as we wrap this series up, as we head into our Christmas season, I pray that you would help us to understand what it looks like to serve the way that you came to serve Jesus to recognise that ultimately we base our lives in who you are, in what you did, in the way that you live, not just your teaching, but your example for us, that you call all of us to be people who are servants. And so for each of us in different ways, I pray that you would challenge us as we head in this week about the opportunities that we've got to serve, to be able to serve the people in our families, to be able to serve the people that we live with, our friends, our neighbours, to be able to serve in our workplaces, in our schools, in all of the different places that we go throughout the week, the people that we meet when we go and do our shopping. Everywhere we go is an opportunity to be able to serve like you. So keep that top of mind for us. Help us to be able to understand what it looks like to live the way that you did and to be able to make a difference in the circles that you give us to be able to have an influence in. In your name we pray. Amen.